Welcome. My name is Chris Miller, and I'm a pre-retirement and living trust and estate planning expert who's given pre-retirement workshops and keynotes for over 20 years. My message is simple, yet vital, to encourage people to prepare for retirement early to get their arrangements, both financial and spiritual, in place long before they may ever need them. I've had the opportunity to interview some of the greatest thinkers of our time in the field of personal development, positive growth, and natural healing. And because these people have made such a great impact on so many lives, the Pre-Retirement Masters Show Teleseminar Intensive Series is a chance for others to be able to hear from these experts and these visionaries in an intimate and direct way so that people can create an enormous amount of change and growth in their own life. Thanks for joining us and enjoy. With the golden ticket to a better destiny And I told my heart there'll never come a day Hi everybody, this is Chris Miller, host of the Pre-Tirement Masters Teleseminar Intensive. And our show called Right Now is Are You Ready for Pre-Tirement? What do you think when somebody says retirement? You probably think of old people. The truth is, retirement has nothing to do with being old and everything to do with being solvent and independent. Preparing for that starts right now, and I call that pre-retirement. Plan retirement early so your money, health, and peace of mind is there when you need it. Life can happen, and you can end up unable to live independently at any time. Are your assets protected? Are you covered? And do you know if you, your money is protected from market loss? Well, planning for retirement early means thinking about the future today and making choices that will give you greater happiness and peace of mind in the years to come. And this is what I call an optimum estate of mind. All through my life, I have been researching all of these topics, and I have come into contact with some really great people who understand the needs of people and what they need to do to protect their assets from these things. Right now, I've assembled a panel of these top experts in the human potential movement to help you prosper during these difficult times. So today with me, I have an expert, and his name is Peter Billigus. And for the past seven years, Peter has been educating Americans about their personal finances. Peter is traveling the globe and delivering keynotes at workshops, colleges, corporations, schools, military bases. He's spoken all over the world in Japan, Korea, Middle East, Europe, and the 48 states, and on even military ships at sea. Peter is the author of two books and has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, PBS, USA Today, and many other media outlets. Outlets. Peter's goal is to improve American lives through financial education. Hi, Peter. Glad to have you here. Chris, thank you. Glad to be here. It's really, really an honor because I think you have a lot of great things that you can share with people, but I think it would be helpful if you could share with everybody your journey and how you got to where you are today. 
I'd be happy to. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that you use the term uh, pre-retirement because uh, many moons ago when I was uh, in college and um, starting my first year of college, retirement was uh, something that I never thought of. And if somebody asked me to think about it, it was uh, the images popped up just as you said they would about being much, much older and, you know, not something that a college student would ever think of. Um, and I was uh, fortunate in an unusual way because I was essentially forced to focus on my financial life. I went to college during what I call the golden age of credit cards, where uh, any idiot like me could get uh, just about as much credit cards as you want. And um, when I was a college freshman, I uh, was on financial aid. I was working a job making minimum wage, and I was able to borrow $65,000 between my eight credit cards. And I'm, so I'm a, middle, um, uh, a um, minimum wage college student working part-time, and I'm able to borrow $65,000. And I borrowed 5000 of that 65000 before I got myself into serious trouble. And one day a bill came in from my uh, Chase Manhattan card, and I couldn't even make the minimum payment on that card. And I did not know exactly what that meant. I did not know how credit card interest was calculated and all that stuff. But I did know that if I owed them 5000 and I could only pay them, I couldn't even make the minimum payment, I knew there was a problem. And I started to pick up a book on personal finance, which led to two to three and then eventually on to over 300 books. And what eventually happened was uh, I realized two things pretty quickly. Um, number one, just how much I did not know, and number two, just how much potential someone had if they started focusing on this stuff early. Um, as you said, it, it's something that we focus on now. Now is the time you focus on retirement, not uh, just a few years before retirement. And I realized that uh, if I focused on it now, I could uh, I could do some pretty amazing things. And I also realized, I guess, the third thing was just how many people were like me. Uh, who went to high school and received absolutely zero financial education training, uh, who went to college and, again, received absolutely zero financial education training. And, and even the folks that are studying finance, the business school students, they're probably studying some form of corporate finance, not the, uh, the personal finance stuff, like you said, are your assets protected against market loss, against uh, an unexpected uh, injury, life happening, whatever that may be. That stuff just wasn't taught, and uh, we were supposed to somehow figure it out along the way. So I started uh, to create a business around that of teaching people about uh, personal finance. I am a former financial advisor, and um, I've had this sort of niche teaching uh, young people about money management, college students, high school students, members of the military. And as you said, uh, over the past seven years, I've just been able to go all over the world uh, teaching folks uh, about this and getting them to focus on those issues that you talked about uh, at a young age. Uh, in January of this year, or excuse me, tomorrow, I'm going to speak at a high school, and we're going to talk, and this sounds crazy, but we're going to talk about retirement uh, to this group of seniors at the high school. That's awesome. That is great because, see, that's part of what I've been really inspired is to reach the younger audiences and the people that are listening to get them to understand how important it is to start young. So a lot of my clients, I see them maybe in their from their 60s up, and they have they haven't done a thing. And sure. a lot All of right. them, are, it's too late for them, you know, to get long-term care insurance at 80 years old, mm -hmm. or 
you know, protect their assets and with annuities and things. So I'm really, really, really glad that you're reaching out to younger audiences. And and so what would you say when you're you're talking to the young people and it seems like, you know, retirement is so far away, how can you get them to be excited about it? Well, there's a, there's several ways to, to do it. Um, one of the things that I, I talk about is I certainly reveal uh, to young people the, the power of compound interest. And I do an exercise when I'm on stage with individuals, and that exercise is um, where I ask a student to give me a dollar, and I, you know, say, pretend that you're my financial advisor, that I'm your financial advisor, and I'm going to invest this dollar in, in the stock market for you, or I'm going to invest it for you. And we're going to invest it at a rate where your money doubles uh, every 10 years. And eventually that student it, it gets back uh, a $10 bill. Their money doubles from $1 to 2 then from 2 to 5 then from 5 uh, to 10 And the, the, the point that I sort of illustrate with them, and certainly as students they're happy to get a free uh, $10, but the point that I illustrate is, you know, imagine if you waited and you lost an opportunity for your money to double just that one last time. And I say, I point out to them that you made 50% of your money in that last double. And if you wait on this stuff, whether it's 10 or 15 years, um, as you know, the average American gets started investing in anything, stocks, bonds, gold, silver, real estate, anything, when they turn 35 years old. Uh, and to wait that long, individuals cut themselves off uh, from the opportunity for their money to double one or two times. And as you were also saying, in doing that, they may cut themselves off from a whole bunch of other opportunities. Uh, their insurance is going to get far more expensive, or maybe even uh, they would be flat-out denied because of some sort of pre-existing condition or what have you. Um, so I start with that potential of look how much you lose if you, if you wait. I think that's one of the first things that, uh, that I do. The other thing that I do is I hammer it into people's heads. Because I not only talk to students and service members, but I talk to a lot of Americans of very modest income. Uh, I have given a financial speech at a homeless shelter, which is not the typical place you'd find a financial speaker. But I gave it there, and I speak to people of very, very modest income, and I try to tell them the money really doesn't matter. What matters or what is far more important is the habit. So if students say to me, I can't afford to save $100 a month, I say, don't worry, save $10 a month. If they say, well, I can't afford that, I say, okay, save a dollar a month. Because the amount doesn't really matter to me. What matters is the habit. If you can save a dollar a month, you can soon save two, and then five, and then 10, and then 100 a month, and you can certainly uh, work your way up there. So that's the second thing I do is I say, the money doesn't matter, form the habit. And then the final thing that I do because I really try to find the fun areas of personal finance that will relate to young people. Sometimes retirement isn't on their mind, even if I tell them all about compound interest and all that. Sometimes they just it just doesn't stick. But one thing that does stick very, very well with college students, with young members of the military, are credit scores. And I'm sort of usually their first introduction to credit reports and credit scores. And the reason that it sticks so well is college students, better than anyone else, understand what it's like to have your entire life reduced to one number. They're taking the SAT, the LSAT, the MCAT, the GMAT, all that kind of stuff, and they know that that one number is going to literally determine their future. And I mentioned to them, well, you know what, there is another number that also determines your future, 
and I introduced them to their credit score. And, and many of them have a score and they have a credit report, but they had no idea that it was going on um, in, in cyberspace, that these credit reporting agencies were tracking how often they paid on time and when they borrowed more money for student loans. And that really sort of creates that spark. And Chris, I know that you have a lot of parents on the call, and sometimes parents are wondering, how, how do we create that spark? How do, we just, how do I get my son or daughter excited about it? Uh, that can be a great way to do it, finding that short-term thing that, that they relate to that's going to uh, enter them into the financial world, and, and they'll eventually wander back to some of the more longer-term things like retirement. Right. That's great. Well, are there other things that parents could do to help their kids focus on retirement? Because they don't seem to, you know, the whole retirement concept is something that, you know, you never really ever get to. And now literally that's really what's going to happen the way the economy is. People need to have more than one stream of income and, and have to have these plans set up ahead of time. Yeah, I, I think there's – um. Uh, I think there are a lot of things, and I think number one is uh, is I tell parents number one just just do something. A lot of times, money is just not talked about in in the family. Uh, the only discussions uh, about money are we can't afford that, and uh, that's kind of where the discussions start and end uh, in most families. And I think it's important to involve your children as much as you can in your financial life. You and I both know that everybody listening to this should at least once per year be checking their credit report. When you do it, invite your son or your daughter or whoever to come and watch you do that and say, this is one of the things that I do. Uh, if you have a young child, explain to them what you are doing when you go to the ATM machine or to the bank. Don't just make have money come out of that magic machine because then you're just reinforcing that it is actually a magic machine. Explain to them what, what you're doing. Even if you're not a financial expert and many people are not, that's okay. Just kind of involve them. If you're balancing your checkbook, explain how you're doing that. If you get uh, some sort of discount for paying a bill early, explain why you chose to pay that particular bill early and the other one uh, you're paying on a, on a different day because there, there is no discount. So I would say, number one, do something. Involve them in your life however, however you can. Number right. two... Search for the spark. Uh, this is a tough one for parents to swallow, but one of the things that I tell parents, because I also do lectures for parents, I say don't focus on what your kids should do. Focus on what your kids will do. And again, I speak at uh, maybe 50, 60 colleges every single year, and if I had my way with college students, if I ruled the world, I would probably deliver a two-hour speech on disability insurance because I think it's such an important part of a financial plan, and it's just such an easy thing to overlook and just forget about. And right. I'd probably deliver my two-hour sermon on disability insurance. But if I did do that in the college market, I would put every single person to sleep. So instead, I focus on something like credit scores or like compound interest or starting your own business or something that's a little bit more exciting, and I get them excited about it, and then they start to wander further into the financial forest. And after my speeches, I start to get these emails that say, Peter, I checked my credit. I did have a mistake on there. Uh, I got it fixed. And now what? Now what should I do? And now I've got them excited about it. And they are going to keep wandering further and further into that financial forest and figuring out the other pieces that they need to do. But sometimes if you're sitting down 
with your son or daughter and you're just trying to force them to stick to a budget, stick to a budget, stick to a budget, whatever that may be, if that's not working, if it's not getting through, just try something else. Maybe uh, maybe that is encouraging them to, to start their own business this, um, this summer as opposed to um, going and just getting a job uh, at the mall. And I guarantee you, if they do start their business, they will learn all about budgeting and exactly how to make sure that the business budget uh, works, and that will eventually transfer into their uh, into their own uh, financial life. Sometimes uh, kids get really excited about stocks, about investing, about, hey, you can be an owner in Apple or you can be an owner in, in Google. Getting them excited about that or getting them set up with one of these imaginary online financial games where you can invest in stocks and it tracks your progress. Uh, something like that can be a great uh, great thing for um, for kids to, to get excited um, about it. And even, this is the other crazy thing, um, we know that many 401k plans have some sort of matching fund, and it's essentially a bribe to get the employees to think about their retirement, to save for their, for their retirement. That's what matching funds are. It's essentially a bribe to get you motivated to save for your own retirement. And I also encourage parents to do that as well. I mean, if you have to do a bribe where for every dollar your child puts into some sort of long-term savings, you put in 20 cents or 10 cents or whatever that may be, uh, I think that's a wonderful thing because we have things like that in the, quote, real world. And, uh, and if we need to recreate them in our, in our family lives, I, I suggest that, uh, that families do that. Great. Wow. That's a, that's a mouthful because there's a whole lot of goodies in there in what you just said. And I don't even think the parents realize about the disability. Um, the stats that I have basically are 7 out of 10 when you're 65 have some sort of convalescence day. And I think it's like 2 out of 7 under 65. I don't know what stats you're familiar with, but, you know, it touches everybody how important catastrophic illness being protected and making sure you're covered and you have powers of attorney or disability or long-term care insurance. You know, I don't think people really get how important that is. Uh, absolutely, absolutely, and especially when we think of a, of a family unit where, um, you know, one of the things that I've come across with parents a lot is they, they won't do something in their financial lives uh, for themselves um, maybe they'll sacrifice their own retirement savings so they can help their son or daughter go to the college of their choice. But they'll sacrifice that to help their, their son or daughter. And I say, you know, one of the things that you need to do is look at your family finances as a whole because, as you said, if, if mom or dad or whoever the breadwinners are, uh, if they do not have that proper disability insurance, everything else in the financial plan really doesn't matter because uh, their financial plan is based on their ability to wake up and catch a bus, and the moment that they cannot do that, the entire uh, house comes crumbling down. Right. Um, so, so parents need to realize, you know, ask yourself, not, not just have I done everything that I'm supposed to do in my financial life, ask yourself, have I done everything that I'm supposed to do for my family's financial life? Which means that if you don't have disability insurance, it's not about you. It's about the people that depend on you. And if you if you've neglected that, uh, you're not letting yourself down. You're you're letting them down. Right. Exactly. Well, folks, anybody that's just jumped on this call and is listening, we have Peter Billigus here, and he has a great newsletter. He wants to share with you for free 
Why don't you tell everybody how they can access this newsletter with all these great tips that you're, you're sharing today? Uh, the newsletter that I have is uh, delivered once a week, and it's either uh, it's either via uh, a video blog or a, or a written blog. And we just talk about uh, new financial tips that come up, reminders, tips. We just did one, obviously, on uh, tax season, and uh, we make post funny little videos about uh, renters insurance or some other part of uh, of uh, personal finance that people that people know about. Uh, it's kind of a, a newsletter for all ages, so everybody from uh, 21 to 65 can, can benefit from this. If you just go to my website, which is peterbilligis.com, that's P-E-T-E-R, then D as in boy, I-E-L-A-G-U-S, peterbilligis.com, and you'll see right on our homepage is the ability to, uh, to sign up for that newsletter. Uh, you're able to get off it at any time. We certainly don't sell your uh, information to any other company. We just use it for... Um, for our newsletter, and uh, folks, folks really like it a lot. It also allows people to interact with me if they have a particular question, whether it's on a particular posting or just something that came up. Uh, people can bounce that uh, to me. I do pride myself on being someone who's, who's uh, pretty accessible to uh, to my readers. All right, that sounds great. So, Peter, you've been all over the world for the past seven years and with a unique focus on young, young people and their money. So tell me, did a college student or a young person or a young service member even think about retirement? You know, a lot of them, uh, a lot of them do not because they, they just never had any sort of introduction uh, into the world of, of personal finance. And, um, Chris, I think you would probably agree with this, that that is, a, a problem in the United States that we are starting to see rear its ugly head where if we don't take the time to educate a generation about their own financial lives, that generation will eventually grow up and eventually have access to credit or mortgages or student loans. And if they don't understand the basics of how all that stuff works, then the house is going to come crumbling down. And uh, we've just seen it with the mortgage crisis where, you know, there were certainly plenty of people who got flat out swindled, but there were a lot of people that uh, that just didn't really understand what they were signing and uh, didn't didn't know what to look for, what to ask about, and kind of just thought, well, obviously this is all quote standard. Obviously, I'm dealing with a quote professional, so it uh, it should certainly be fine, and and it obviously wasn't fine. So I think um, part of the problem, or or part of the reason that that they're not thinking about it as much as they should is is nobody's asked them to, to think about it. Maybe we've asked them to think about a budget or two or save some of the money that you earn at your, at your summer job. But we haven't asked that, that bold question, which you just asked, which is, have you thought about retirement the rest of your life? What do you want to do? Because the sooner you start, uh, the less time you have to spend doing it. Um, if you start at age 20, uh, you might be able to retire at 45 as opposed to the, the you know, stereotypical 65 or, or whatever the age may be now. Um, so we have to ask that bold question of are you, can, are we asking our, our young people, our students, have you thought about this? Have you thought about your financial life beyond uh, paycheck and a little bit of, uh, of saving? Because what I found is once you reveal that to people, um, and I'm usually that guy in the many financial lives on their first introduction, once you reveal that, you wouldn't believe the, the light bulb of, that goes off, the spark that starts to light, and, and just to see how people at least start thinking about it. Now, they may carry 
their same bad habits from one year to the next after they've seen my speech or been introduced to, to personal finance somewhere. But at least it's rattling around in their head that, you know what, I do have the opportunity to, to build wealth and to do it with very little money and let time do most of the work. And it really does, uh, it really does set that, uh, uh, that spark off. I do need to applaud the military because they've made some drastic changes in the last four or five years, really, really pushing it. Uh, for years, our service members, we really unfortunately did not give them any of the financial training that they needed. Military members are twice as likely to be approached by a predatory lender than a civilian, and um, they have their own certain um, uh, target marks, if you will, that, that make them a juicy catch for a for a predatory lender. And uh, that was going on for years, and we never really provided them with the with the uh, financial training that they needed. And now that the military has really, really cranked that up, they've really, really done a good job with it. And it's something that we need to carry it over um, into the world of the uh, civilian world, of our just our high schools and our, our colleges and our community colleges and our career schools. Uh, it's just something that we, uh, we need to put that idea in their heads because um, uh, if we do that, the spark, uh, the spark will take off. Right. Well, usually young people typically don't make a lot of money, so how can they start to save for retirement? You know, I was... Um, very, very proud of myself uh, for the first three years of my speaking business. And the reason I was very proud of myself was because no one was ab ever able to stump me with a question. I had spoken to millionaires, uh, multimillionaires. I had spoken to PhDs in economics, certified financial planners, the heads of business schools, entrepreneurs, military generals. No one was ever able to stump me with a question. And the first person to stump me with a question was a 19-year-old college freshman who asked me this question. He said, Peter, I am a full-time student. I am on financial aid. I work a full-time job. And it looks like I now have to get a part-time job on the weekends just to stay at this school. And he asked me, how am I supposed to save any money? And I really did not have an answer for this student. I mean, what was I supposed to say? Go get a third job and work a little bit harder? I didn't know what to say, and something just popped into my head, and this is what I told him. I asked him, can you afford to save a penny a day? And he looked at me, and he, he was like, well, yeah, of course I can afford a penny a day. What difference is that going to make? And I said, um, well, it's certainly not going to hurt that much, is it? And he said, okay, well, what do you want me to do? And what I asked him to do is I asked him to get a jar and put at least one penny a day into that jar before he went to bed. And I asked him to keep me updated via email. And he said that, uh, that he would do that, and he got a jar, and he started throwing at least one penny a day into that jar. But, you know, a lot of days he would throw in all the changes in his pocket, maybe 70 or 80 cents. Sometimes he'd clean out his car, and he'd clean out his dorm, and the change was in the folds of the couch or the ashtray. He would throw that in. Sometimes he'd have a dollar or five dollars and he'd get motivated to throw that into the jar. And as more change piled on top of that five dollar bill, that five dollar bill would get buried. Now, four years go by, I don't really hear anything from this student until not too, too long ago. I get an email from him and he told me that he took his change jar to the bank and his change jar had become a water cooler jug filled with change. And he had four thousand dollars in there. 
Woo. All right. And that was, yeah, and that was $4,000 from somebody who said, I can't afford to save anything. And, Chris, you know, I'm supposed to be the expert. I'm supposed to be the speaker who has all the answers, and I, I fully admit I did not have an answer to this question. And what this student taught me, as I said before, is that the amount really doesn't matter. What matters is the habit. And I don't know why this works. I've never fully understood. Uh, maybe you know, but for some reason, money attracts money. Right. And when he had that jar, it literally just served as a magnet for all the money that was in his life. And, it, you know, he even told me that, and it's kind of a funny thing, is that sometimes his friends would donate to his jar. Uh, they'd come in, and, and if they had a couple pennies in their pocket, they'd throw it in his uh, his jar. And that money just attracted money. And there there was money in his life. There, there was money in the folds of this couch and in the ashtray, and there was money underneath his car seat or whatever, and, and it just sort of became centralized in that one place. So uh, what I say to young people is don't worry uh, about the amount. Just get started on the habit. You know, when I deal with people who are trying to get out of debt, I, you know, they, they, they say to me, I can't pay this debt off, you know, tomorrow. And I say, well, you know what? I don't expect you to pay it off tomorrow. If you owe the company, the credit card company, $50, Send in 55, and then next month try to send in 58. And just making these tiny, tiny changes, especially with something like credit cards, all of a sudden can um, can create a, a, a phenomenal change relatively quickly with very, very small amounts of money. So I would say if people worry, uh, ah, I don't have enough money, um, don't worry about the money, focus on the habit. That's great, and that's so true because it really does, and that's the same thing that I did when I first started working at a, as a cash register, you know, in a gas station. Just set a little bit aside every week. It's amazing. It does. It's magnetic or something. It so, is, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the, the interesting thing as well is, uh, and you know this as a, as a uh, financial advisor, and so many times people get wrapped up in, in the money side of personal finance, um, we, we get wrapped up in the money. We, wanna, we want performance on our investments. We want investment return. We want to see our money grow. We get so wrapped up in, in that side of it, and that is a side of it. But another side of it is just getting organized, is writing down your goals. Writing down your goals does not cost any money at all. Writing down those goals inventorying your assets and all your liabilities. That doesn't really cost you any money at all. Checking your credit, that does not cost you any money at all. And there are so many things that people can do without spending a dime to drastically improve their financial lives. And unfortunately, we skip that. And I'm, I know you get these questions as well. We, we skip over the assets and liabilities and credit reports and, and examining the, the cost of disability insurance, the skip all that to jump to, Chris, uh, should I buy gold? You know, we, we jump straight to those kinds of questions, and, and we really need to sort of take a step back and realize, you know what, there's a bunch of stuff that I can do that will not cost me a dime. It's crucial stuff in my financial life. If I am tight on money now, I can focus on that stuff, and then once I get that stuff organized, more money is going to come into my life. Right. So do you have a little, like a little checklist or a few basic things that you can share with everybody on, you know, besides putting a penny in the jar? But Sure, absolutely. Um, the first thing that 
that uh, I, I like to tell people is is my definition of personal finance. Uh, to me, personal finance is about financing or paying for your personal life. And the crazy thing is, is we actually get that backwards. We personalize our finances. And what I mean by that is we get very, very upset when the stock market drops. We get angry when we didn't get to buy Apple when the stock shot up. Uh, we get upset about those kinds of things. And that's, that's the exact opposite of what we're trying to uh, achieve here. Um, you know, I, I remember in your intro to this, to this call, Chris, you, you weren't saying that pre-retirement is, is about having stacks and stacks and stacks of, of gold coins. It's about being healthy and being happy and, and knowing that you're not going to have to worry about these, these kinds of things. So it's not about personalizing our finances. It's about, it's about financing or paying for our personal lives. So before we even talk about money, we have to know what are those personal lives, what do they mean? Um, what's, excuse me, what's made up in those personal lives? And that's where the, the step that everybody loves to skip is, is taking a moment and writing down your goals or writing down just stuff in your life that's important to you. Spending time with my kids is important to me. Working out is important to me. Writing down those goals, getting clear on those goals, on how much they would cost, when you'd like to have them, who could help you get them, finding a cheaper way to get them, uh, whatever that may be, really taking some time. Because again, you know, if your goal is to buy a sailboat and a sailboat is $300,000, one of the ways to get that sailboat is to come up with $300,000, but another way might be to just find a cheaper way to get it. Could you get a used one, or could you buy it with four other people? And figuring it out from that side with just a pen and a piece of paper rather than how am I going to get my hands on $300,000. So I think number one is take a minute and write down your goals. And I have seen people with millions and millions of dollars who have skipped this step. And I have seen people from millionaires to multimillionaires, people who are flat out broke, skip this step, and, and it's, uh, uh, it's the most crucial step of personal finance. I think the second thing, and, and you know, if you read any personal finance book, they will tell you to write down your goals. That, that's a very, very common uh, tip. Everybody skips it, but it's still very common. But I'm one of the few people that I know that also suggests that you make a list of everything in your life that is really not important to you. What do you not care about in your life? And I tell people to have some fun with this and get specific with this. And what I mean is, do you care about uh, which gas station you buy your gas at? Do you care about which fabric softener you use? Do you care about which brand of paper towels you use? Uh, you might, but most often we don't care about those things, and we are constantly bombarded with advertisements trying to get us to care about all these things that, that really don't matter. Um, and certainly stores are set up in position to get us to buy those more expensive brands rather than the, the more affordable brands. And um, having a written list of what is not important to you, I think, is just as important as that goal sheet. Um, so I think that's the second thing. And I think the, the third thing that people can do is take a moment, and I, when I say a moment, I mean a long moment. I mean a week or maybe even an entire month of your life, and write down everything that you spend money on or get a receipt for every single thing that you buy. Uh, if you buy a cup of coffee, write it down. If you get a soda and chips out of the machine, write that down. Because you will be surprised, and I know you've done this with your clients before, about where your money actually goes every, every single day. 
Um, you know, when we sit down and write a budget, we don't have a line item that says daily trip to vending machines for soda and chips. We don't have that. But if we do make that daily trip as part of our habit and we spend $3 each time and we do that every single month, well, that's $100 a month on chips and soda that is never accounted for anywhere. And if we do that with two or three things in our financial lives, whether it's cigarettes or morning coffee, we don't account for them. We're bleeding this money without even knowing it. And what we, what we really need to do with these three lists is put them all side by side. Because I think your, your listeners will see a shocking thing, which is what we want in our lives is what we actually do not spend our money on. We want the big things. We want a summer house. We want to send our kids to college. We want to pay off all our debt. Uh, we want to start our own business. Those are the things that you see on the goal sheet. But where does our money go every day? It goes to McDonald's, Starbucks, Marlboro, Budweiser, Krispy Kreme, Doritos. That's where our money goes. And when we get a little bit of clarity that, you know what, I'm, I'm actually not saving for the stuff that I really, really want. I'm not spending my money on the stuff that I really, really want. Uh, we can make some pretty drastic changes in our financial lives once we just make that conscious decision that, that I don't want these things, I do want those things, and I'm going to start focusing more of my money, resources, and time on those things. That's great. And that and that is so true. I mean, you know, just just not knocking off one Starbucks a week can really add to the account, and and people really don't get that. Uh, no, it it really it really you're you're absolutely right. And again, it's that it's the habit. If you change the habit, and people, the reason people don't get that is because they'll say, "Oh, this it's a cup of coffee is a dollar seventy. That's not going to make me a millionaire, or that's not going to." get my 401k to where it is, or it's not going to help me pay off my mortgage. But they're, again, they're focusing on the money. They're not focusing on the habit. It's $1.70, but it's $1.70 every single day. Uh, and it's $1.70, 365 days a year. And that starts to add up year after year after year after year. And, um, and so we really need to look at those habits and, and, and change our focus onto the habits that we're really after rather than those habits that are, are just because of, of some sort of habit or some sort of pre-programmed um, marketing message that we've been pounded with so hard. Right. You know, and that that is exactly what I've noticed in my 20-year of practice and speaking over to, you know, 5,000 families and, you know, uh, creating their estate plans, that the estate planning or retirement planning, like I said, is in the state of mind and it includes not only money but what you're saying is the planning and the habits and the way you think and what you're eating right now is going to be your health later. So, you know, eliminating some of the McDonald's and the junk is going to help you in later life when you want your mm -hmm. health. What good is retirement going to do if you don't have joy or your health? I mean, yeah, you can have a million dollars, but if you don't have joy in your heart, it's useless. So all of that is is, is part of creating what I call the estate of mind. That's why I wrote my book, Ready for Pre-Retirement, so that people could have a step-by-step -step instruction on what to do and how to plan with an exactly ABC, here's what you do. So in, in your experience, what are some of the common financial mistakes young people make? Um, well, the one that we're seeing a lot right now has, has to do with student loans. And... 
the issue that, that again, we don't take the time to educate our students about personal finance. Um, and then when they're 18, 19 years old, they sit down to um, apply to a college or, or, excuse me, they get into a college and they sit down to sign these, these financial aid forms to, to borrow money. Um, and I think that's the first thing is understanding if you are going to college and if you are borrowing money to do it, understanding exactly what it is that you're signing, knowing that it is a loan, that it must be paid back. In the case of student loans, as you know, there is no way to get out of them. You can't get through a bankruptcy. You can't uh, negotiate the debt down as you might be able to do with a, with a collection agent. Uh, there is none of that in the world of student loans. The loans do have an interest rate. Interest rate is the rental fee of money. That's what I tell students. When we rent something, we have to pay a rental fee. When we rent money, we pay a rental fee called interest. And sometimes in a, um, in a student loan, that interest is growing as you're going through college, and sometimes it's, it's staying flat where it is. But regardless, there is that rental fee. And I think that's, that's the first thing is knowing what you are signing, that it's not a grant. It is, uh, it is a loan. It does need to be paid back. And then I think the second thing um, along the lines of student loans that I ask students to do is, you know, so, so many times after my speeches, students will come up to me and they'll say, Peter, I've borrowed uh, $20,000, $30,000, $50,000 of, worth of student loan debt. And I always tell them the blunt thing, which is uh, those numbers really don't matter to me. What I want to know when it comes to their student loans is what is the monthly payment going to be after they graduate? And can their career of choice reasonably support that payment? So if a student says, I've borrowed $50,000, uh, that's not very much money for uh, a plastic surgeon. But it could be a lot of a uh, problem for a social worker. Right. And so one of the things I ask students to do, and I would encourage the parents to encourage their students to do, is to go to the financial aid office every semester and just ask this very, very simple question, which is, as of today, what are my monthly payments going to be? And if those start to get a little too high, then the student is going to have to make some adjustments. I was one of those students who I went, and again, I learned this when I was 19 years old. I got into a lot of debt, started learning about my financial life, learning about loans and how they work. And I went to the financial aid office, and I asked them, where do I stand right now? What are my monthly payments going to be? And for me, they were a little too high based on what I was trying to do. Um, you know, my career choice was to be a writer, which basically means my income was going to be zero. So I had to keep those loans as low as I possibly could. Um, and so I made some rearrangements in my college life where I actually graduated in three years. And it's not because I was smarter than anybody else. It was because I realized that I need to get, uh, I need to keep my student loans low for what I am trying to do. So I need to make some adjustments. So I graduated in three years. And that's one thing that students really need to do these days. They've really cracked down on credit cards on the college campuses. It's not like I, when I was there where anybody could get uh, um, a credit card. They've really, really cracked down. But the new sort of credit card, if, or if you will, or the new borrowing problem on college campuses is going to be these uh, student loans that um, if students have no idea what they're borrowing, that it is a loan and it's not a grant, and also what those monthly payments will be and how it relates to their career choice, knowing how all that stuff works is, uh, is going to allow students to maybe take a course online over the summer at a reduced rate or 
do a year at a community college at a reduced rate or graduate as I did in three years, whatever it may be, uh, knowing all those numbers I think is, uh, is going to be one of the important things that um, the college students or young people are, are making a, a big mistake with. Yeah, great. Well, um, I just wanted to let everybody know that if you just jumped into this call, that Peter's offering a really great newsletter he sends out every week with all kinds of tips and things that you probably never even thought of, how to plan for pre-retirement and things you need to do. Peter, why don't you tell everybody where to go to get this? Um, basically, my website, peterbillagus.com. That's P-E-T-E-R, B as in boy, I-E-L-A-G-U-S.com, peterbillagus.com, right on our homepage there is an opportunity to sign up for our, uh, our, web, our uh, email newsletter. It comes once a week. It's either a video that we send or it's a, a text newsletter. And it just has a lot of the tips that we're talking about, talking to your kids about money, interesting new websites on where you might be able to look up something about your financial life or ways to help your credit score, those kinds of things. We just did a great one on uh, last-minute tax tips that uh, people found very, very helpful. So it's a great newsletter to sign up for. It only comes once a week. We don't send it more than that, and we certainly don't set, uh, sell your information to any third-party uh, company. So I do hope people will visit me, peterbillagus.com, and it also gives you the chance to dialogue with me if, uh, if you have a question about your financial life, your child's financial life, whatever that may be. I am happy to answer that, and I, I do pride myself on uh, being pretty accessible to my readers. Great. So... Um if you had, because um, we're kind of getting close to the end here, what if you wanted to boil down and you had like one last thing or two last things you could share with everybody? I know because there's a lot you have to share. What would that be? Uh, I would say the first one is uh, start. People ask me all the time, right. um, should, I, uh, should I invest in gold or should I invest in silver or real estate or stocks or... And my answer is usually yes. And what I mean is that people, there's never going to be a good time to focus on your financial life. Uh, I don't really care how old you are. I don't really care how much money you have. I don't really care how much debt you have. Today is the best day to focus on your financial life. And I tell people to, the best way to start, I think, wherever you are, and, and many people have already started and are doing quite well, but think about the next thing that you need to do or the next 10 or 20 things that you need to do and start just by picking the simplest one. What is the simplest thing that I can do today or tomorrow or as soon as possible to slightly change my financial life? Maybe that's something as simple as, you know what, I I'm going to check my credit, but this year I'm going to have my daughter sit next to me and she's going to see exactly how this works. Or maybe that's... Uh, I am going to pick up the phone and I am going to make an appointment with that financial advisor who I've been putting off forever. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to make that appointment. And taking some sort of tiny, tiny action to, uh, to change your financial life I think is a, is a wonderful thing. And, and please do not fool yourself that tomorrow is a better day or you've got to do it after uh, school is over or the summer will be easier or the weekend is going to be easier or the midweek is going to be easier. It's not. Today is always the absolute best day to get started on your financial life. And I think the second thing, uh, the second thing, Chris, is uh, as we, we were talking is um, please don't be fooled. Anyone on this call, please don't be fooled that it, it, it's 
solely about the money. Uh, it is not. We talk about so many things that you could do to change your financial life, to improve your financial life, to improve your kids' financial lives that do not cost you a dime. Uh, writing down your goals, cataloging your assets and your liabilities, checking your credit report, making a quick appointment with a financial advisor. Many of them will, will do an, an initial consultation free of charge. Um, writing down a list of your goals, a list of everything in your life that you don't care about, uh, tracking your expenses for a week, all that stuff doesn't cost you a dime. Don't be fooled that, you know what, I don't have the money right now, so there's nothing I can do in my financial life. There's an infinite number of things that you can do. So don't be fooled by the money. Uh, today is the best day to get started. Right. You know, something I wanted to bring in, especially for the younger audiences that I think is really important, is if that I mean, whether you have a child or not, it's really, really important to have a power of attorney for health care and for financial. For example, if something happens to you, you want to make sure that your medical wishes are, are taken care of. And then also the people that have children, they, guard, they want to make sure that they have a guardianship for minor children. So that, I think that's really important because I've seen so many incidences where people don't have the right paperwork and they can't take care of their child. And so it's really, really important. And um, we have, and you can visit my website, which is Ready for Pre-Tirement. That's R-E-A-D-Y-F-O-R-P-R-E-T-I-R-E-M-E-N-T.com. We've created some living trust software and powers of attorney and pour-over wills and wills and guardianships so that people can actually create their own document. If you have larger estates, you can get it reviewed by an attorney with, for tax issues. But it's really, those documents are really important, and you don't, it's not something you want to wait around for. Um, so, Peter, I would, I would say that you've really shared a lot of really great things with the young folks and old folks, because it's the same thing, really, what you're saying. And the old people, older people, uh, don't really get either that they've got to start. So, um, I, right, right. Is. So, yeah, how about one more thing that you could share with everybody, something that they could actually hang up the phone besides putting their pennies in the jar that they could do maybe today to start? Well, you know what? I'll, I'll give you an interesting and, and fun thing. I know people have heard this before, uh, but I've, I've come across so many people who have heard it, but they haven't actually done it yet. Um, right now, there is over $32 billion in unclaimed money in the United States. And when we use the term unclaimed money, we're talking about money such as um, you paid a deposit to have your cable hooked up uh, four years ago, then you moved and the cable company um, cannot find you. Or that cable company went out of business and they had to hand over all of their, um, their deposits to the unclaimed funds office in their particular state. Everybody knows we have a national treasury department or a federal treasury department, but every state has a state treasury department. And every treasury department in that state has what's known as an unclaimed funds office. Uh, if you were using a skin cream for a period of time and the company that designed that skin cream got sued and the settlement was that everybody who used it was entitled to $100 for using it in between that time, uh, they may not be able to track everybody down. What they will do is they will send the settlement to the states that were involved in that particular lawsuit to those unclaimed funds offices. 
And there's over $32 billion right now in unclaimed money in the United States. And the question is, is are you entitled to any of that money? If you're curious to know, uh, the website to check is called unclaimed.org. That is not unclaimed.net or unclaimed.com. It is unclaimed.org. I know your viewers have probably gotten spam emails saying they're entitled to some unclaimed money, but this is a website that they can go to to check any state in the nation, and it is free of charge. Uh, and it's something that I've been saying to people um, uh, for a while now because uh, occasionally you will find someone who's entitled to several thousand dollars of unclaimed money for one reason or, uh, or another. I know that some of the national talk shows and, and morning shows have done stories on this, um, but people, it's one of those things that I know I should do it, but I never did do it. And um, I went, I was entitled to $17.77, and certainly that's not going to make me uh, a millionaire, but we know that uh, it's not about the money, it's about taking that action. So if people want to do one quick hang up the phone thing, unclaimed.org, check it out. You can check any state in the nation that you've ever lived in and see if you are entitled to any money. All right. That sounds great. Be a, might be a surprise there for you. You, you, might, uh, you might be, and I, I hope uh, your listeners will share with, with you and I, Chris, if they do find anything, because uh, I always like to take those stories and pass them on, because it just inspires people to, to, to keep going. That's great. Well, Peter, I really want to thank you for joining us today, and really look forward to maybe doing some more shows with you in the future. And, um, again, anybody that wants to stop by um, and get Peter's newsletter, you're going to send them, where are you going to send them, Peter, to? Uh, PeterBillegus.com, my website, that's P-E-T-E-R-B-I-E-L-A-G-U-S, PeterBillegus.com is my website, and uh, I look forward to connecting with uh, individuals through there. All right. And you can stop by my website, which is Ready for Pre-Tirement, P-R-E-P-I-R-E-M-E-N-T.com, and access some free vid, uh, videos and articles on retirement planning, and check out our new estate planning software and my new book, Ready for Pre-Tirement. Again, I want to thank you, Peter, for joining us today, and really, really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you, Chris, and uh, thank you all for listening. All right. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Found out you can't take the curve at 85. My whole life flashed before my eyes. I braced myself to leave this world behind. As a million questions. Across my mind, did I live? Did I love? Did I matter to someone? Did I give everything I had to give? Did I save any soul? Was I worried about my own? Was I haunted by the things I never did? Did I embrace each day with faithfulness and laughter? Did I matter? That moment I became a brand new me With the golden ticket to a better destiny And 
I told my heart there'll never come a day when I'd have to search inside of me and say, did I live? Did I love? Did I matter to someone? Did I give everything I had to give? Did I say any soul? Was I worried about my own? Was I haunted by the things I never did? Did I embrace each day, faith, hope, and laughter? Did I matter? Did I matter? I hope I can be a voice of inspiration and my story finds you well. When the curtain falls, there ain't no second chances, and you don't want to ask yourself, did I live, did I love, did I matter to someone, did I give everything I had to give, did I save any soul? Was I worried about my own? Was I haunted by the things I never did? Did I embrace each day, faith, hope, and laughter? Did I matter? 